All right. Well, if you guys would, you're already in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at one verse and then kind of unpack that verse for a little while tonight. But before we do that, I forgot I probably should share some announcements. And so I, I just dawned on me we didn't really do that. Um, so don't forget, May 1st is our ladies' event. That's going on uh, from 2 to 4, totally free. Um, you won't want to miss that. Uh, again, our guest speaker, Jerry Lynn McDonald, is going to be sharing with the ladies, and we're really excited to have her with us. Um, also, don't forget, we've got other things coming up. Again, Word of Life Store is going on. Uh, directory photos is still going on. So if you haven't done that yet, make sure you do that. Um, our student ministry has an all-nighter this coming Friday. So be praying for that and encouraging young people as you can. Um, I think that's the majority of it. Does anyone know an announcement I'm missing? No? No? Okay. All right. Matthew chapter 13. So I want to sh- share a very powerful truth found in a very simple verse. So it's a powerful truth, but it's found in a very, very simple verse. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. It says here, uh, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man has found, he hides it, and for joy thereof goes and sells all that he has and buyeth that field. So this is an, a, par- a parable account. Jesus is telling a story here. And the idea of the story is what? There's a man who finds a treasure and he realizes the treasure is so valuable that he turns around, he buries it, he kind of hides it. Then he goes back, sells everything he has and buys the field. And I want to unpack what we can glean from that about not only our relationship with Christ and what he offers us, but how we can live in a way that honors him. So here we read a parable and somebody tell me, what's a parable again? How would we define a parable in scripture? Yes, you're right. You're, just flip it, Julie. You're flip it. So it's an earthly story with a heavenly truth, right? Or spiritual emphasis, okay? One of the key things about a parable is we have to be careful not to interpret every little part of the parable, right? If you're careful to look at the principle and interpret that, you're going to be guarded against going way off track, right? Where every little thing has to mean something. It can get really kind of, kind of crazy how that works out. So here we see a parable that's being given. It's actually with other parables, right? It's not the only one that he gives. Um, this is right after one parable is explained and talked about. And just before another example that he gives. The treasure in this verse uh, is an image of the kingdom of heaven, or really it is the gospel of Christ. It is the gospel of Christ. So Jesus was teaching his disciples here in a private context and was encouraging them with an amazing truth. So I want to break this down in what happens in this parable. So the man that we read in this story, do we know the man's name? Do we know anything about this man? What do we know about this man so far? Just in the one verse that we read, what can we glean about this man? Okay, he buys a field. He, he hid a treasure, okay, that he found in the field. Okay. Right. He had some kind of wealth or possessions because when he sold that, what was he able to do with everything that he sold? He bought the field, right? So he had means, okay? Other than that, it's just a guy. And, and here's the thing. Does it really matter who the guy is per se? That's not really the point of the parable, right? The point is, what did the man do? What was the man willing to give up? That's really the emphasis on this or with this treasure. So the man seems to be just living life day to day. Uh, He didn't know what he was going to find. He's surprised by this. 
Um, the parable opens up. This man seems to have been walking in a field, and most likely it's believed it was near his home. So this is something that was in close proximity to him already. It doesn't say he was on this long journey and he finally found it. It was somewhere near where he maybe already was living. And we're going to talk about the, the wonder of that in just a moment. He discovers the treasure, which had been there all along. That's the other part we've got to realize. Seemingly in the parable, the treasure's been there this whole time. He just stumbles upon it. He just seems to find it, although it's not said that it was put there and then he found it. It's just, he just found it. So as it is with the gospel, when someone finds Christ, Christ was already there waiting to be found. Now, we're going to talk about the fact of this hiding in just a moment. Because some people say, well, this can't be the gospel because the gospel is not hid from humanity. But is that true? Is the gospel hid from humanity? Right. Yep. Yep. But we don't like hearing that, do we? That God would hide the gospel. What does that make God sound like? Like he's a respecter of persons, okay? Some can see it, but mm -mm, nope, you can't. If the gospel is hid, what what might some people accuse God of then? Being a respecter of persons? What else? Okay, being mean, right? Why do some people get to find it and others don't? Okay. Sneaky. Yeah. In our day and age today of we just better include everybody, that does not fly well to say that God hid the gospel. But the reality is, is it really hid? No. Right? He says constantly. How many times does Jesus say, if you have an ear to hear, you'll hear. If you have eyes to see, you'll see. Point this out. Jesus is teaching in a parable. Wouldn't, Jesus just started doing this, right? In this, in this gospel. Why was he teaching in parables? So that somebody had to put a little work into it. Man, what's he saying about that? We got to ask questions here. The religious that wanted to challenge him and accuse him, those that were kind of just on the fence listeners, like kind of like, maybe I'll give this guy some time, maybe I won't. They didn't like it when he would say a parable and they're like, wait, I don't get that. And then they would just go about their day. They wouldn't stop to investigate. But those that truly wanted to know, those that truly wanted to hunger for truth and righteousness, they would do the extra work. Now, again, do we work for salvation? No. And again, when he talks about buying the field, we'll talk about it in a minute here. That's where the parable doesn't apply. But when you understand this idea of it's a parable, it's meant to cause you to go, huh, I wonder what that means. And it's okay to do that, right? Because what do the disciples do constantly in the Gospels? What does that mean? Right? Yeah. Now, sometimes he would kind of, I don't know if I would say in a mean way, but just kind of poke him a little bit here like, you don't understand this yet? You don't get this yet? Okay. Well, if we're being honest, if you've been saved for any amount of time, you're still sitting there going like, I don't get all this, right? But praise God for his grace. When you look at this example here, uh, the gospel that this person finds was already there waiting to be found and within close, close proximity of them. It was already in their life today. This is one of the great blessings of living where we live. If you've ever done this, drive between here and, I've said this before, Gateway Assembly on the other side of Emily City, and just count how many churches you find. Is it true or false that people, if they really wanted to know the gospel, could walk into a church, any number of, uh, whatever, 18, 16 churches, and hear the gospel? Yeah. 
See, it's, it's right there, but so many people, it's right there, but they don't choose to go look for it. Why? Because we're in our own lane, doing our own thing. We're not looking for God. We don't want God. We want our own things. We want our own pleasures to be fulfilled. But if we really open our eyes and look, it's right there. And it's in close proximity to us. And so I love that about this parable. When you read here, uh, verse 44, that's one example. And then I want to read, um, actually, if I can have somebody else read, that'd be great. Uh, verses 45 and 46 of Matthew 13, 45 and 46. If someone wants to read that for us, who's got it? Okay, Keith, go ahead. Thank you. Okay, so we see the similarity in the parable, right? What's the emphasis in this, in this parable compared with the other parable? What, what's similar in these two things? From the one with the pearls and the one with the treasure in the field. What's similar about those two parables? Okay, he was looking for something, right? And when he found what he was looking for, he sold everything he had to get that thing. And I love the example of the pearls. He says, man, when I found this one great pearl, this one that was beyond belief, that was so valuable, I was willing to give up everything else because I understood the value of this. So uh, one uh, commentator says it this way, and I'm just going to read this whole thing. I know I don't usually read this much, but I want to read this to you. In both parables, the parable of the pearls in verses 45 and 46, and the one we've already talked about with the treasure, the treasures are hidden, indicating that spiritual truth is missed by many and cannot be found by intelligence or power or worldly wisdom. Matthew 13 and 1 Corinthians 2, 7, 8, and 14 make it clear that the mysteries of the kingdom are hidden for some who are unable to hear, see, and comprehend these truths. The disobedient reap the natural consequences of their unbelief, spiritual blindness. Those whose eyes are opened by the Spirit do discern spiritual truth, and they, like the men in the parable, understand its great value. We live in a world today where people are just, they're, they're willfully blind to it. They're naturally blind to it. They're not discerning the things of God. I believe the Spirit of God is working in their heart, working in their mind. Uh, I believe the Spirit works on everybody's heart and mind. I believe God's Spirit is always trying to draw to repentance, convict of sin and righteousness. The reality is, though, many will choose to deny that. What does Jesus say about the broad road and the narrow road, right? The broad road, many there be that find it. The narrow road, only a few will find it. That's not saying that God's going, well, I'm going to pick you guys because I like you and I'm not going to pick them. It's he's giving free choice and some will choose to receive and some will choose to to reject. But here we need to understand, we need to be okay with this because God is saying, I want you to think this through. I want you to seek me out. And the reality is, although we call it hidden, Jesus was not crucified in private. Jesus wasn't crucified in secret. It was for the whole world to see. And in fact, he gives us his word, which declares it to the whole world, right? Because God loves the whole world and wants all of them to come to know Christ. But again, we have to make a choice. The man in our parable, uh, the one that found the treasure in the field and the one in the pearls, knows what to do. He knows what to do. Without hesitation, he responds to the treasure with the only response that makes sense. We got to get this. When he realizes the value of the treasure in the field, he responds with the only response that makes sense. Again, remember, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's telling the story to them. 
who will be left to start the church and face intense persecutions, ultimately laying down their life for Christ's sake. Christ is laying the foundation that their sacrifice is worth it and makes sense. He's speaking to the disciples. Listen, I'm telling you this story. You got to understand the value in what you have in the gospel and then decide how are you going to respond to that value and that worth and that treasure. The reality is, we already said it, the man sells all that he has to buy the field. Can you imagine his family and friends? Because who knows the treasures in the field? Him, right? Now, we don't read about the family and friends. Maybe he didn't have any. But I like to kind of take a parable. And as long as we're not robbing it of its context and its principle, I like to try to imagine, okay, what's going on in this guy's life? Okay, it's a story. Let's, let's put some stuff in the story. So if your friend or your family member that you cared for and you're praying for wisdom and all this, and they come to you one day and they're just selling everything they have. And they go, what are you doing? They go, I'm going to buy that field over there. And you look over and you just see a field. Nothing's in the field. There's no seemingly value to the field. What would your encouragement to that person be? What's that? Praise the Lord. Yeah, Rick. Well, that's his response to everything. That's just what he says. Okay. Okay. Why? Is it wise? Right? And I can almost imagine David Platt says this in his Follow Me series. When people were challenging him, he can just smile and say, I've got a hunch about it. I've got a, I've got a hunch about that field. Because right? in his heart and mind, he knows the value that's in that field. But others around might question, this doesn't make sense. Like, why would you sell everything you have to buy that? And that seeming kind of silliness, I think, is meant to be part of the point, in my mind anyway. Because how does it look to the world when a follower of Christ sells everything they have, buy a one-way ticket to some people group halfway around the world that they can't even speak their language and live among them for 20 to 30 years just to tell them about Jesus? Their family and friends that know Christ and don't know Christ are going to go, is that really wise? There's no financial security in that. You're not going to have a lot of joy doing that. That's going to be a really hard life. You're going to raise your children in that? What if somebody that's a follower of Christ says, I believe God wants me to go to Iraq and preach the gospel. And by the way, I'm going to take my children with me and we're going to raise our children in that environment. Non-believers would be blown away and believers would be like, I'm not doing that. Because at some point, at some level, we don't understand the real value of the gospel. We've not stopped to really evaluate how powerful this gospel is. The truth is, this man understood the treasure was worth more than what he owned. He understood, man, that treasure is worth more than everything I have combined. As it is with the gospel, when we realize the value of what Christ offers us in salvation and in the relationship we have in eternal life with him, the mere possessions we have cannot compare. Can you think of another example in the New Testament where someone did this or someone's? made this decision. I'm just getting rid of everything and I'm following Christ. Okay. The disciples, right? Remember when Peter and them come to the shore, how much, how much, how much fish was there in the boat? It was sinking the ship, right? The nets were breaking. They get to the shore. I love that. It doesn't say anything about the fish. They don't sell the fish, pocket the money and then follow Jesus, which would be what our American thinking would be. Let's take the fish. We'll sell half Take that, put it in our pocket. The other half we'll sell. We'll put that in a, an investment account, right? And we'll make some money on that, some, some money back on that. Then we'll be secure. Now I'll go follow Jesus. Because my 401k is already ready to go, so I'm good. But what did the disciples do when they got to shore? They didn't care about the fish. 
By the way, what was their profession again? What they do for a living? Do you think they knew how much money was in that boat or boats? I guarantee you, Peter was like, that's a lot of money. But they just left it. Not only did they left the fish, they also left the boats. They didn't care. Now, was it beneficial to them? Was it used by God? Of course. I'm not saying we have to do this. But in that moment, they weren't worried about that. They were like, we're going to follow Jesus. Because that's where the value really is. And this is just, this is everyday stuff. We can get that back. We're going to follow Christ. Any other examples in the New Testament of a believer or believers doing this, putting this into practice? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah, they sold their possessions, right? They took it to the apostles, and it says they laid it at the apostles' feet, which is like basically saying, you do with it whatever you see is necessary. The apostles took that and then distributed it to those in need, right, that would have whatever needs they had provided for, okay? But, but we don't see the whole church doing this by command. Peter doesn't get up and go, now everybody's better do this. Put in your, your share. They just chose to do this, right? They were willing to do this. We actually know what comes out of this is Ananias and Sapphira, right? They decide to tell a little story. Man, look at all the attention those guys are getting. We want in on that, okay? So we know that comes out of that story, which again is crazy to me. Uh, if you read it in context, they died in church. So I've always said that. I, don't, I always wondered what was the next church service like? Like, was it empty or packed? Because like, if you're in church and someone just drops dead and then that dude's wife comes in and she drops dead, you're like, God, I don't want to be here or I need to be here. It's one of those two things. Like either I got to go or I'm going to be here 24 seven. And I'm really sorry for everything I've done. Please don't strike me down. Right. Any other examples of that? A believer or believers putting this into practice, this parable example that we see. We got the early church, which did it as a, as a mass thing. We've got um, the disciples with earthly things that they would set aside in the, in the gospels specifically. Which means the disciples did it multiple times. They were a part of that early church as well, most likely. Any other examples that come to mind? Oh, okay. Sure. Mm-hmm. The wilderness, if you will. Yep. Yeah. And, and ultimately, what happened to John the Baptist? He was beheaded after being imprisoned. And why was he imprisoned? Because he spoke out against Herod, right? He said, that's wrong what you're doing. And he got called, he called him out. Then he got thrown in prison. And then for entertainment purposes and vengeance, basically, he gets beheaded. Okay. So again, but yeah, he, he could have had a different life if he chose to invest in the worldly things, but he chose to do what God called him to do, right? Okay, that's a good point. I didn't think about her. Um, when she comes and she breaks that open, what was, the, what was the point of contention from Judas? There's so much money. Man, we could have given that to the poor. I hold the money for the poor, but... I could have, we could have given that to the poor. This is silly to waste it, okay? But she understood what she had in that box. Although it was humanly valuable, it couldn't compare to what she was doing for Christ in an act of worship to Christ, right? We don't even know her name, but she gave so much. Sandra? What about, I mean, I don't know if you sold everything. Probably not, or gave away everything, but like Zacchaeus. Um, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great... You guys are thinking all kinds of examples. I never thought about that as an example either. Um, after an encounter with Christ, right, he decides to not only pay back, but to go far above what he did. Okay, if he cheated someone, he went way over. Now, that would tend to reason he's giving out more than what he took in. So odds are he ended up on the short end of that stick, right? But he doesn't care because he found Christ and he wants to honor Christ. Absolutely. Great examples. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, what does Paul call all the stuff he had before Christ? A pile of what? Poop. It's okay. You can say it. Poop. I said crap. You can say poop. It's fine. Okay. A pile of dung is what he says, right? And I love that he says, I compare all this religious stuff, all this notoriety, right? All my position in, in the Jewish religion to that compared to the knowledge of Christ, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. If I could know him more, I'd give up all of this, right? So again, it's not a one-time thing. We read this and we go, okay, yeah, this one guy did that. But do you see, this is actually a pattern of followers of Christ throughout the New Testament, not just in the gospels, but also in the church. When we have an encounter with Christ and we realize the value of the gospel, we will be quick to give up whatever we need to. Now, is it by command that we give up everything we have, sell it to the poor, and follow Christ? No. He never commands us to do that. But I've always said this. Have we ever even entertained the idea that that's something God might want me to do? It's not our American culture. Our American culture says, no, no, in fact, the opposite. Amass as much finances and security as you can so that I'll never have to trust in Christ is really what that's communicating. And I've always said this in the model prayer. It's not the Lord's prayer, but the model prayer. Give us this day our daily, what is that word? Bread. Man, could you imagine praying for daily bread? Like you actually have to go to God and go, God, I don't have bread today. I need you to provide that. Like, could you imagine having to trust him to that degree? Yes, there are people that go without. But the majority of us in this room, we don't have to pray for, man, I don't have any, literally nothing to eat today. Now, some in our country does. They do have to pray that. But for the vast majority of Christians, I don't think that's the normal. We're praying, God, give me bread in for 20 years from now so that I don't have to trust you in 20 years. And I know you think, well, wait, there's nothing wrong with saving. There isn't wrong anything with saving, but it's the idea of the trust. Am I saving and amassing all this so I can just take care of myself and then not have to worry about God doing anything? Or am I doing this because he's blessed me and now I can be generous with what he's given me? I don't have to hoard this stuff. I'm trusting him in that. So again, it's this American idea is kind of contrasted by what we see in the scriptures. Um, so again, another thing we need to note, not only does he do this, even though friends and family might think he's crazy, he does it joyfully, right? He does it joyfully. He says this in verse 44 of Matthew 13. Uh, the which, when a man hath found it, he hideth and for joy thereof goes and sells. There's joy in what he's doing. It's not begrudgingly. It's not out of obligation. It's not out of guilt, right? It's joyfully. He's making this decision. He, it says, sold everything with great joy because he understood the value of the treasure. Now, this doesn't mean that we, again, buy the gospel, Right? We don't pay or earn our way into salvation, but it means we surrender our lives with great joy because we know it is worth it. We surrender our lives with great joy because we know it is worth it. Uh, the Apostle Paul was referenced as an example. What does Paul say? I want you to know that everything that has happened to me, 
I don't want you to be ignorant of this. Everything that's happened to me is for the advancement of the gospel. Whether I'm in chains, whether I go hungry, whether I'm imprisoned, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's for the advancement of the gospel. That's what Paul's saying. It's worth going through all of this if the gospel is preached. I'm always amazed that Christ never does or says anything by accident. It all has a purpose and a plan. He was laying the groundwork as well uh, for a soon conversation with a young Man, you can jot it down for note's sake. Matthew chapter 19, verse 21. We talk about the rich young ruler. Imagine this. Paul's, or uh, Jesus is preaching this here, telling the story. And then in a few chapters, he meets this young man who is unwilling to do what? Give up his wealth to follow Christ. See, the reason is because he didn't understand the treasure of eternal life was worth more than what he had. He tried to approach Christ in an arrogance. I've done all the law. I've followed the law. I've kept the commandments. Jesus, the son of God who knows his heart, knows, no, you have an idol before me. And that's your finances, your wealth, your possessions. So go ahead and sell all that and then follow me. And of course he doesn't. He leaves sad because he loved his treasures more than he treasured the, the offer of salvation through Christ. So again, the rich young ruler doesn't joyfully surrender everything to follow Christ. He leaves sad. It's interesting. There's joy when we surrender in Christ, but there's sadness when we understand or we don't understand the value of the treasure and we think we're losing something. So again, many people will walk away from the gospel because I don't want to do that. I don't want to give that up. What I have is more valuable. So what is my encouragement tonight to you? The encouragement is this. Do you truly understand how valuable the gospel is? And what it provides for us and how it has changed us. Are we willing to surrender any and everything for the sake of the gospel? Not because we have to. But because when we look at the value of the gospel, we go, it just makes sense. In that study I referenced a few minutes ago by David Platt called Follow Me. He talks about that when we don't understand who the me is, then we won't really follow. When Jesus says, follow me, we focus on the following, and I don't really want to do that. But when we understand the me that's inviting us to follow, it makes perfect sense to surrender everything and follow him. That you realize who is inviting you into that relationship. And again, why do missionaries go all over the world, give up everything that they have to be able to preach the gospel? Because they understand who the me is in the follow me. And it's amazing. I've never, I believe this is true. I've never met a missionary who has ever told me they regretted making the decision to go overseas or to surrender everything to him or whether it's stateside or overseas. They've never said that. It's always, man, God has just shown over and over again how good he is. Compare that to, I'm just going to be honest here, pastors that I've met that seem to complain more about where God has placed them and what they're going through in their church and this and that and also their nonsense. And yet, because the emphasis was on them, my comfort level, what is God doing for me? And I don't know why that is, but every missionary I've ever talked to, and maybe I'm not saying they're all perfect or anything like that, but it's always about, man, but look what God has brought me. Look what God is doing. And so to me, I think it's, do we value the treasure of the gospel? And I think in our American culture today, American church culture, I should say, I wonder if we really do value the treasure of the gospel like we should. Doesn't mean we're not saved. Doesn't mean we're not going to heaven. But if we value it, man, when God asks us to do something, we'll do it. Because we ju- it just makes sense. When we, we want to be with God's people. We want to be in his word because we understand the value of the treasure that we've been given in Christ. And so again, do we value the gospel? Do we truly see it as worth everything that we have plus more? And if we have to give it all away 
everything you've worked for in your entire life up to this point, you have to give all of that away because God just asks you to. Would you do it and would you do it joyfully? Or would you go, but, 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 but I worked for this. I think about this with Sandra and I, we, we literally just bought our first home. I joke about that though. We didn't really just buy our first home. We started the process of paying for a home that we hope to own within 30 years, okay? People always say that, oh, you bought your first house. No, you didn't. You're paying for a first house and hopefully you'll pay it off. Um, but I think about that. Like that, that actually came to my mind when we were signing the paperwork. I thought, would I give this up now? Like if God wanted me to just walk away from this, to just sell it, settle the debt and walk away. What would I do that after all the years that we've talked about how great it would be to own our first home? Would I, would I do that? And I got to be honest with you guys. There was a part of me that was like, I don't really want to do that. But there was another part that was very clear in saying, but man, if God asked me to do that, then he knows what's best and he'll be glorified in this. And so for me personally, recently, this has been a challenge to my life about not just the big things, just little things too. Do we inconvenience ourselves? We talked about this morning just to serve someone else. Do we go out of our way to let somebody know that God loves them, even though it's inconvenient and out of schedule for us? Or are we so focused on our thing, we're not valuing the treasure, so we've diminished it down, and now it's about me, not about him. And so I just want to open it up real quick. We've got a few minutes before we usually end. Does anyone else have any comments or questions or thoughts about that? Sandra? Hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a great point. And sometimes it's different seasons of life too, right? Like sometimes God is instilling us in some things so that down the road we'll be ready to hear what he has for us. And then we'll be ready to surrender that thing to him or things to him. But I think that sometimes we're just in seasons where God is just shaping us and molding us. And again, I don't know that he always asks that of us, but I think it's more it's kind of that Abraham faith. God didn't really want uh, Isaac. Isaac? Yeah, Isaac. Had a brain fart there for a moment. And I've said crap, poop, and fart all in the same message. But anyway. Um, either way. So, yeah, I guess it's what's on my mind. Um, so, what's that? Yes, it is on tape. It's online. It's great. going to be held over me for years. That's fine. Um, but when you think about that reality, that, that sometimes, like when Abraham was asked to give up Isaac, God knew he wasn't actually going to take Isaac, right? Like nowhere in that process was God surprised. Oh, okay, I guess I don't need Isaac now. That was purely for Abraham to get Abraham to a point of realizing, okay, I really do trust you this much. I really do believe in you this much that I'm willing to give up my only son. And the phrase begotten would be greatly used there. It doesn't mean only son. It also means son of unique birth or circumstance. Um, and so when you think about that, there's a uniqueness to Isaac. He's a promised son, but he was willing to sacrifice him to God. And God stopped him because it wasn't about offering Isaac as much as it was about Abraham offering his heart to God. And in a similar sense, God may never ask you to give up your possessions. But if my heart is in the right place, Am I willing to give this up? Even if God, when I go to give it up, God says, no, I don't want that actually. Now I know, and you know your faith and where that's at. Any other thoughts, comments, or questions about this topic or this idea tonight before we close in prayer? No? All right.
right. Well, let's do this, guys. We'll go ahead and bow in prayer. And we'll ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds that we would go forth to apply them by his grace. Father, Lord, it, it's, it's tough for us to even think about all the ways that you might ask of us to give up this or that, Lord. But I pray that we would understand that it's really not about the thing we give up or whether we're even willing to give it up. We don't start there. We start with a relationship with you. We start with understanding that the value of what we have in Christ is worth everything. And so when we start there and we grow that relationship, then as days go on and little things come up, Lord, where we have to maybe sacrifice and give up our time or we sacrifice and give up some finances to be a blessing and a help to someone else. Father, I pray that we've already kind of laid that groundwork where we understand how truly undeserving we are and were of your gospel that it's a treasure of great value. And you say you put that in earthen vessels, in, in us. We don't have to go find that treasure. We have it within us. And those that are stumbling about in the darkness, that have no idea of the eternal life that's offered to them, we get to go and we get to share that treasure with them. They don't have to go look for it, Lord, necessarily. We get to be the ones that bring that to them and to share with them this truth that they might understand the value of eternal life. Lord, I also believe that the more we value things of this world and the more we have our eyes fixed on the things of this world, the more we're going to diminish and downplay the value of eternal life. The more we have earthly desires and earthly focus, then when we look at the things of heaven, it seems as though it's not as good. Lord, one of the things is in this world, we see more of an instant gratification. We, we can see things come into play a lot faster than with dealing with spiritual things. And one of those things, Lord, can, or those kind of things can really discourage us and make us to think, well, I'm just going to focus on the earthly things. But time and time again in your word, we see that when we build our kingdoms, we're not focused on your kingdom. So I pray that we would just go into this week, Lord. It's not always the big things that you're asking us to surrender and sacrifice. It's sometimes it's the little things. And I pray that whatever it looks like, that we would value the gospel enough that we would elevate it to a position of priority in our lives, whether it be sharing it with others or just enjoying the presence that we have with you, growing in that relationship and seeking you. Whatever season we're in, Lord, I pray that you would show us how we can apply this to our lives tonight and moving forward. Thank you for all of this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.